Since 2017, the Italian Wine Podcast has exploded and expects to hit 6 million listens by the end of July 2023. We're celebrating this success by recognizing those who have shared the journey with us and giving them the opportunity to contribute to the ongoing success of the shows. By buying a paper copy of the Italian Wine Unplugged 2.0 or making a donation to help the ongoing running costs, members of the international Italian wine community will be given the chance to nominate future guests and even enter a prize draw to have lunch with Stevie Kim and Professor Attilio Scienza. To find out more, visit us at italianwinepodcast.com. Chin chin! Welcome to this special Italian wine podcast broadcast. This episode is a recording off Clubhouse, the popular drop-in audio chat. This Clubhouse session was taken from the Wine Business Club and Italian Wine Club. Listen in as wine lovers and experts alike engage in some great conversation on a range of topics in wine. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. And remember to subscribe and rate our show wherever you tune in. So, here we are. It is a Thursday morning, and it is raining cats and dogs, or I think it may have stopped by now, but let's... Okay. For once, it's not raining here in New Zealand. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, everybody, and welcome to Clubhouse Ambassadors Corner. I am here today with uh, moderator Marco Nordio, who is in New Zealand, and Our guest today is Sebastian Nacello, and I'm going to let um, Marco do the intro for Sebastian, but um, I'm I'm here today on a rainy morning because I guess in New Zealand, what what time is it in New Zealand right now? New Zealand is 8 p.m. I just had dinner. After dinner, perfect timing. Wow. Okay. Okay. (laughs) All right, so yeah, I'm here in place of Stevie Kim because she is off on her travels um, for mm-hmm. the Mama Jumbo Shrimp channel and for the Italian Wine Podcast and for, um, yeah, many, many different interviews that she's she's doing at the moment. So I'm here and um, Clubhouse is incredibly pop. Well, the actual platform seems to have crashed, but uh, we put everything on the, it's replayed on the Italian Wine Podcast and so this is being recorded, and I will let everybody know when that uh, when that comes out. We have a 100th um, episode clubhouse coming up soon. It is going to be actually Laika. You know a lot more about this. <laughs> Help me out here. When's that happening? Hey Joy. So yes, the clubhouse for 100th episode is going to be next week on July 13 at um, yeah 5.30 p.m. And uh, it's going to be, to be with um, Matt Irwin interviewing Chiara Bosques. So we're really looking forward to that. Fantastic. Okay, so let's get into this episode today. So I'm going to introduce you, Marco. You're born in Chioggia, Venezia, and you trained as an economist at Bocconi University in Milan. And after spending 10 years working in finance in Italy and overseeing uh, in Italy, you, you, you flew overseas and set, uh, went to New Zealand um, on a yacht. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. I know exactly who you are because I read your story on, on your website. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, this man is so interesting. OK, so mm-hmm. you landed after three years and you yes. studied wine science at the Auckland University, and you planted a small vineyard with uh, Nebbiolo and Pinot Grigio, and you reached uh, a full barrel production of Nebbiolo, and then you turned to importing, and yeah, you have uh, you import a large portfolio of Italian wines, probably the largest in New Zealand, um, and Podere yes. Leripi is your star Montalcino producer. Uh, yes, yes. Sorry, I knew that I recognized you, but I was like, no, because there's so many, or, there's so many people, right? And and I was like, oh. Mm-hmm. And then I just I saw this just now, and I'm like, oh, wow. Okay, I do this story of you going <laughs> across the ocean, and I think I saw your wife was there too. Um, yes. You guys went together, and what's it like being on the ocean for three years? 
Well, you realize that uh, um, wine is in short supply, so you run out of wine quite quickly. <laughs> also because you you give away some to the friends who are the boats. Yeah. So wine is something which is only in short supply. And I, all, I always wonder, you know, there are these big tanks for water on the boat. Why not turning a water tank into a wine tank? That would be a very, very good idea for yachts, you know, because oh wine seems to be always in short supply. But you never did that though right because i feel like that's that's a genius idea <laughs> <laughs> no i didn't do it yet maybe it's my next project <laughs> fantastic all right so um i will ask you um why exactly did you choose sebastian nacello um mm-hmm. for your interview today Yes, there are several reasons. Well, the first reason that is quite obvious, I think I love the wines that Sebastian is making. And, um, you know, first of all, Brunello is one of my favorite uh, denominations in Italy. But there is something about the Sebastian wines that uh, they have uh, this kind of, I, I kind of uh, drew inspiration from some, uh, um, some, some of the critics defined as exotic, like savory uh, exotic spices that uh, set uh, Podere Le Ripi, Brunellos, and Sangiovese apart. Also, you know, Sebastian is the, is the definition of innovation. I think he's young, innovative, and this is what Italy badly needs. Uh, and uh, I think it's a good uh, example for young people in Italy to draw inspiration from. He's a master of Sangiovese. He won a prize because of that, uh, the famous Gambelli Prize. And uh, I think it's, it's, it's a very good, uh, it's a very good example of what, uh, what, what kind of um, innovation you can, uh, even in Italy, but it's quite conservative country. Even in Italy, you can, uh, you can, you can, you you can have that. Yeah. That's awesome. I, I, okay. So, inspirational. So, what, what is it you want? the um the nerdier crowd um in the community and anybody listening to take from uh this conversation yeah so basically everyone knows that uh, montalcino produced some of the best wines in italy but uh, what i would like uh, sebastian to um uh, spend few words about is uh, what what in what innovative style you can make even in Montalcino even in a quite traditional uh, denomination and uh, apart from uh, wines that can age very well as we all know but the, the kind of a feature in a wine that becomes distinctive that you can uh, have a recognizing and becomes like a, a trait, a signature. I think uh, Sebastian wines have a kind of a signature that, uh, the, that the drinkers and tasters can easily recognize. Great. Okay. Well, then without further ado, um, uh, let, let's see here. Are you, are you there, Sebastian? Have we lost Sebastian? Hold on. Hi, 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 hi. Great. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna mute myself and then I'll come back at the end if there are any questions. And uh, go ahead, Marco. Yeah, ciao, Sebastian. Ciao, so Marco. I'm very, ciao. I'm very glad uh, that uh, that you actually can talk in this podcast uh, and you can explain because you really deserve uh, this this space. I, I just do a very brief introduction. Uh, um, you, you won this, as I mentioned, this Premio Gambelli as the best winemaker under 35 years old. And Gambelli, as we all know, is a is, is the is the hero of Sangiovese. So you 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 basically continue the tradition of this Gambelli uh, innovative winemaker. And you have a lot of projects that we're going to talk, uh, and you, you're going to talk about this. Yeah. And uh, first of all, I would like to ask you one question, the first question to start with. How did you become a winemaker? And um, did you always want to do this job, uh, Sebastian? Uh, first of all, thank you for this opportunity. And uh, let's see. I'm, uh, I love to say that uh, after 12 years, I... I remember very well when I arrived in Podere Ripi, I was a kind of intern. And now, let's say, with the team, we run the whole operation with over 30 people. And um, let's say, but we are still commit with the same mindset and passion and curiosity uh, of 12 years ago. Uh, winemaker, uh, it's a job that 
like most of the job in the world, it's, it's it needs lots of patience and curiosity because, uh, in my personal opinion, is a endless journey of uh, learning. And uh, let's say it's I I I became a winemaker. I think thanks to my curiosity, because uh, from when I was very young, I was very in love with uh, with farming and with uh, with the landscape and and also with this particular business where the um, let's say you have to find a perfect balance between the sensitivity for the nature but also the the knowledge of the man because uh, by the way we we deal with the with the ecosystem we deal with plants but we also need to be uh, aware and uh, skills about uh, transforming the grape in wine that is uh, is something coming from the human and uh, and this is a beautiful game uh, that for me uh, can represent a way to feel free to have a kind of personal uh, expression a way to express ourselves and uh, I feel very lucky because uh, I think being in the wine industry today, and especially making wine, uh, it's a it's a good, great opportunity. It's a beautiful job. is uh, is something that really inspire uh, our our mind and our brain to to grow. Yes. So this is a job that you would certainly recommend to young Italians to pursue a career. Yeah. They can give you a lot of satisfaction. And, and I always think that the young people, maybe they don't know how to start. How to? Yeah. How did you start initially? What was the first step? And how, what, what would you recommend to a young Italian? What, what is the first step to take? Yeah. Uh, I had the tip. Uh, I'm not coming from a family uh, in the wine industry. And uh, I, I started uh, with, a, with a farming and after with a university winemaking. And um, I know very well uh, the young Italian condition because uh, my team is based in young people. Uh, yeah. Average is around 28, 30 years old. And most of the guys are, they are with us for a long, for, for long time. They are hired very young and they are uh, in some way incubate, uh, grow inside the company. In, the, in order to them make them very uh, very love and commit with uh, with our mission um, I think um, of course um, spend say, it's very important to uh, be let's say take, take take part of the university program and all the study program but for for what I saw, the most successful young people in the wine industry today are are people that really invest a bit more than just their time in the university in in this world. But maybe they spend also time traveling among the wine regions, uh, taking part of wine event, taking part of a, a tasty wine group. And um, let's say it's it, it require this word require um, curiosity and also uh, the the willing to 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 know more to talk with more people to do networking and um, and it's not uh, extremely easy for for Italian young people because it's I also needed mentorship and mentorship is something in Italy uh, very weak. And uh, not very common, but mm -hmm. uh, very typical of many other countries in the world. But I think, uh, for for my personal experience, without having the opportunity to to meet and uh, and join couple of mentor that really changed my life, I will be not here today. And when I talk about mentorship, I, I don't I don't want to say people that say master that are there to say you what you have to do or how or when but more people that can inspire you can 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 inspire you to to do more question to yourself to let's say to to, to be more open no and um, talking about gambelli has been for me very important for example for my personal story uh, I arrived in Montalcino with a mindset, with a knowledge, uh, be more academic. That is great because 
I know the science behind winemaking, but I in Montalcino, thanks to Francesco, for example, that has been is one of my mentor. I have been exposed to wine like uh, the wine of Gambelli, like Soldera, like uh, Poggio di Sotto. That really opened my uh, my mind to uh, more sensitivity to more to to things that. Uh, are not explainable through the books or through the um, through the study, but in the I would say in the university. I mean in the university, but you start to dive inside yourself, inside the wine industry, to understand uh, if there is something more that we have to know. Yes, it's very important what you said. And just for the audience, I say that when you mention Francesco, you are referring to Francesco Illy. Yeah, that is the the owner, the founder of uh, Podere Le Ripi. It is another example of an innovative entrepreneur and uh, you know wine uh, aficionado, wine lover that uh, started from scratch uh, together with you, something um, that now becoming so so successful. Just a, a, a question that is more a curiosity, uh, Sebastian. What other jobs would you have considered in your life if you were not to become a winemaker? That's a, that's a hard question. <laughs> I think uh, now I'm 36 and uh, I'm, I'm still struggle to know better myself, but <laughs> I understood that uh, what is very important for me is uh, freedom and uh, freedom uh, for me, it's, uh, it's the opportunity to um, express myself in what I do, to also take decisions, to do mistake and understand why, and um, and this is why I think I if I if I have to think something else than wine making I would go for something in the kitchen or something where you you can you can talk about yourself through the services or through the experience or through the products that uh, we are crafting you, you craft. Yes. Yeah, uh, it is important that you know because uh, what you're saying is uh, basically wine for you is like cooking, it's like creating something, and this is what is your is in your philosophy, and this is what I want to expand upon. What is do you have a, a particular idea of um, what kind of uh, philosophy for you? What, what is your inspiration in winemaking? Do you have any? Any model that you regard as such, and uh, yeah. what, what kind of achievement do you wanna do you wanna reach? Yeah, I um, I have to say that uh, let's say through the years I evolve a lot my taste and my also my philosophy in wine making, and especially tasting more wine, especially traveling more around the world, and uh, nowadays I can say that the wine that take more take. Mm, let's say they impress me more are wine with a strong personality coming from uh, uh, the terroir, the place where they are coming from, or also the personality of the winemaker or the vintage. This is why I like wine uh, uh, with uh, uh, mainly terroir driven, uh, with uh, with lots of shadows and and uh, and flavors typical of maybe a specific vineyard or a specific region and um, the real pleasure that I, I have tasting a wine or making the wine is the, the beauty of um, appreciate the, 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 part, the, the uniqueness of every barrel, every vineyard, every vintage. And um, yeah, for me, talking about Sangiovese, I really like this uh, this skill of this grape able to be a kind of chameleon or a kind of mirror of the place because Sangiovese himself doesn't taste very much. Um, it's a it's a grape um, that takes a lot, like a sponge, from the place where he's, where where he's growing the vineyards, and um, and this is why. Let's say it's it for me. It's an opportunity working with Sangiovese because it's I'm not we we have a grape that really um, really photography a 
specific place. And uh, mm. and this is the let's say the wine that I drink most. Mm. More variety, uh, very high personality terroir, very low intervention in the cellar, and uh, mainly made by hand craftsmanship. Yeah, oh, very good. Uh, I think now we, we, we take a step back, uh, Sebastian, if we can. And uh, you talk about the current production. You talk a bit more about Podere Le Ripi. What it what is Podere Le Ripi? What the current production? And also uh, a little bit about a uh, bit of a curiosity here: the story behind the distinctive labels, the bottle labels for Podere Le Ripi. Yeah. Yeah, Podere Le Ripi, it's a project started in the 97 by Francesco that uh, decided to move in Tuscany and step-by-step uh, step do some wine. In 2011, we decided together to, uh, to let's say, start a new, uh, a new cycle and uh, finally uh, uh, make this place blossom. And now we have uh, 34 hectares. Uh, of vineyards, plus uh, an olive oil production, honey production, and also animals and garden. And uh, our our path, uh, our journey is a journey where we go back to the um, to the beginning because in some way we are transforming our place in a farmhouse where vineyards, of course, are the core business. But we try to pay attention to everything, to the whole frame to the whole cycle of farming around the farmhouse, uh, like it was 100 years ago in Italy for before the transformation of farmhouse in wineries. And um, yeah, and we, we make wine in different places of Montalcino, uh, farming uh, following the biodynamic philosophy. And um, yeah, we mainly do wine, uh, mm, Especially in the last year, we we try to evolve a lot the um, the entry level wine, uh, being more in the idea to uh, enhance the freshness of Sangiovese through the fermentation with the stems, through different methods. On top of this uh, young wine, we have the classic Brunello and Rosso di Montalcino that are defined uh, not by the process but by the vineyards. This means that we mainly produce single vineyard Brunello, are three in total, and, uh, uh, and our vineyards where we um, discover particular soils and condition in order to have a wine that ferment uh, separated and also age separated. And uh, we will have to show the, uh, the single personality of these plots. And uh, yeah. Uh, this is uh, the idea behind the wine, um, behind the, the labels. Uh, we have several particular labels. Francesco has a background of uh, kind of artist. He did many photography. He did many. He, did, he wrote some book, and he always been very sensitive to the beauty of art and nature. And this is how we we end with uh, with the label of today. And uh, where three of them are uh, uh, a very intimate uh, mantra and uh, and also words with the aim to inspire young people to 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 do something with love, with curiosity, with uh, some of foolish, and uh, and this is what we have today on the labels. Yes, yes, these distinctive names, uh, Amore, Follia, Amore, Magia, Lupi e Sirene. I, I would invite the audience to explore the labels because they are really um, in tune. Uh, they are really suitable for the kind of wines, uh, stressing the point of innovation and, uh, and the respect for the environment, as you were saying. If I can just start towards Podere Le Ripi, in the environment of Montalcino, it's not uh, very common, a uh, very common winery because for the way of how we do business, we can say, because uh, first of all, it's a community business. We have uh, lots of young people and uh, they, we don't have seasonals. And, uh, and also the idea to work 
in the vineyards, in the, in the farm, like uh, not just viticulture, but be more large and uh, work with, uh, with our consultant and uh, with this uh, inspiration to, uh, to grow a kind of little ecosystem. This is, a, this is a very typical of us. And um, I think it's also something, some vision that I, I took and I grow from the initial vision of Francesco. And um, yeah, we, I don't think we make wine uh, Brunello untraditional because the way, Marco, you know, you've been in the cellar, we, we work with a big cask, we do wild fermentation. It's, the wine is very loyal to the tradition of Montalcino wine, but at the same time, we can do innovation in many different ways. For example, what we did that has been very, let's say, I can say pretty new for the area, we introduced HR in our business that for for any kind of business is something normal, but for farming, it's, it's totally new. And uh, yeah. now we have an HR department in the winery we introduce a very well-made program of hospitality that for Tuscany now it's it's quite uh, established, but 10, 12 years ago was totally new. And um, and also, for example, we we did some some innovation uh, now working with uh, Sangiovese in a different way with the stamps, with carbonic maceration. Those mm-hmm. are not, let's say, uh, innovation that we do to change Brunello. And we don't make, we don't want to make innovation in the products, but mainly in the whole vision of the business, in the whole um, evolution of the company. Also, because let's say tradition is something very uh, important for us, but uh, tradition is, is dynamic. It's not something that really stuck. But we, and this is why we can do innovation many different ways not just thinking that the products are the wine himself, but uh, we have an environment that is changing. We have a market, as you know, that is changing a lot. We have uh, we have the customers, the wine lovers that are changing the, the media, and we have to stay open and uh, stay in some way dynamic and uh, able to uh, take all the input that we got from the environment, from the market, for the consumer. It is certainly a dynamic uh, environment. I want to ask you, Sebastian, about uh, how you see the difference of the Sangiovese, this beautiful grape, as you say, reflecting the sense of place or terroir. I don't want to use the French word, but sense of place, uh, ideally. So now you have uh, this Montalcino, you have the Chianti Classico in Tuscany, and you have a Nobile di, Monte, uh, di Montepulciano. And then you have this new area that you are particularly interested in, in Monte Amiata. How each of these areas have a different uh, uh, personality? In the, how, how do they create a different version of the Sangiovese, in your opinion? Yeah, uh, Sangiovese, it's our, um, I will say, uh, Sangiovese is the way for us to read the territory. And each of the area that you named uh, is characterized by different microclimate, as you know for sure and also different soils. Uh, the two area that uh, I know better, of course, are Montalcino and the Amiata mountain that is totally new as an outsider. And um, Montalcino, for what I know, compared with uh, Chianti or Montepulciano, other Tuscan wine regions, is being more dominated by clay. Uh, clay is is something that we we name a lot in the wine industry, but uh, we should be uh, aware that uh, the family clay is a big family. There are so many kind of clay. The clay of Bordeaux is not the clay of Tuscany. And um, I, I I had this book a few months ago, wrote by Pedro Parra, and the name is Terroir Footprint, and it's a crazy beautiful book probably the best i ever read in the wine industry from the about wine and terroir and soils where you really uh, get deeper in the idea of how the clay can be different and of course in consequence all the different uh, compound of the soil limestones sand or silt 
And um, for Montalcino, I think we have a very particular clay that uh, mainly uh, originated by the ocean sedimentation with a different kind of limestone compared with Chianti, for example. And this soil that, of course, has a huge variability inside the territory because we go, we have also alluvial soil, we have also more rocky soil, but a big part of the soil on the hill of Montalcino are marl, mix of clay and limestone. And um, this soil really gives to the Sangiovese of Montalcino that touch of signature of lyred mouth feeling, deep mouth feeling that is typical of the wine of Montalcino. And uh, it's uh, and this is so beautiful because at the end, uh, Sangiovese can take all this um, uh, input from the from the environment and translate in different wine just by himself. And uh, it's like I always say that uh, the DNA of Sangiovese it's uh, is not so strong because at the end uh, you don't feel if when you taste a great Sangiovese you don't feel that the um, a specific uh, flavors. Uh, recognizable for this variety, like could be for Cabernet, or a specific uh, spiciness or uh, tannin, but it's more the wool. You taste the wool that is very influenced by the location. And uh, just to add two words about the Amiata, it's the very close mountains of Montalcino, um, growing up to 1,700 meters, and uh, with a friend of mine, Three years ago, we decided to take uh, take uh, take this journey to discover a new terroir. We gamble on the idea to grow Sangiovese with uh, be higher altitude and uh, on a different soil because uh, we still have uh, ocean sedimentation soil, but with uh, with a different clay and with a different limestone. And there now we are growing uh, six six hectares of Sangiovese grape. Uh, in a totally different terroir that uh, it's a kind of white page that we are trying to interpret and study in order to deliver a different Sangiovese. Uh, and, uh, and this is the real beauty of my job, let's say, having a, having a journey where for sure we know that we're going to learn a lot. Italian Wine Podcast, part of the Mama Jumbo Shrimp family. Yes, no, totally. I will be very curious to try these new wines from Montagnata from high altitude vineyards, and uh, hopefully we're gonna we're gonna uh, we're gonna we're gonna add that to our portfolio here in New Zealand soon. <laughs> and I want to ask you a related question regarding different sites, but this time in the Mont- Montalcino uh, area denomination. You know, it's quite a large area for Montalcino, and there are different uh, different sites, different aspects. Uh, your vineyards are located in Castelnuovo dell'Abate, and then yeah. the Cielo Ulisse is more on the southwest. Uh, yeah. yeah. How yeah, important do you think in Montalcino is the different size? For example, now northern size. And do you think there is a, it would make sense for Montalcino to subdivide the same way MGA in the same way the Chianti and Barolo is going? Allora, Montalcino it's uh, is big but it's not too big for me because we are talking about one hill mainly one hill not uh, multiple hills or valley like for example Chianti and um, this is why we recognize four macro expositions uh, and uh, having a hill that starts around 100 meters above the sea level and reaching 600 meters we have different altitude and um, and this is a, a kind of condition where we determine a different microclimate uh, on on top of this we have of course uh, different soils because the sedimentation happen in different way in according of the altitude and also the erosion did some uh, mix up of the different soils for me uh, growing vineyards in two different uh, macro areas of Montalcino, mainly the southeast and the southwest, uh, I really 
um, love the idea to keep them separated and underline the differences of these two different locations. Taking advantage of the um, <clears throat> beauty of Sangiovese, able to do this. Um, we don't have any classification of the soil. I can say, as a wine consumer, I love, I, I'm a wine consumer, but I'm also a wine nerd, and this is probably a, a point of view bit um, bit personal, but as a wine nerd, I love to drink wine where I can really go deep in the provenance, means even in the single plot, in the, mm-hmm. in, like uh, I can do, for example, in uh, Piemonte, where I can drink uh, uh, MGA, uh, single vineyard, and I can dive in the map, watching where, how is the exposition, where is the vineyard, who is the neighbor. And this is something that for me uh, is very, really uh, feed myself, my, my curiosity. This is why I love one day, I, I, I wish one day for Montalcino the same opportunity. For now, we don't have it. It's not something easy because uh, require lots of study of the territory by uh, high professional people like geologists. Like, but mm-hmm. we we are also lucky to have one grape uh, only, and is the right grape because it's the grape where uh, that underline these uh, differences. This is why, yeah. When I have a guest in Montalcino, or when I talk with someone about about Brunello. I always talk about different soils, its positions, climate conditions, because I think it's what make our our job uh, a repeat, uh, impossible to copy or repeat around the world. Yes, I think uh, Sebastian, we need to invite uh, Mas Nagetti to come to Montalcino and spend uh, a few weeks uh, to map all the territory. Yeah. Produced these beautiful books that he, he made uh, for Barolo and for Chianti Classico, beautiful, beautiful book. Uh, so I think Montalcini is ready for that. Yeah. I, I wanted to, to ask you, uh, Sebastian, you, um, you mentioned this uh, cluster, whole cluster fermentation as a method that you want to probably to increase, to use more and more. What, what, what kind of uh, the, um, interest, where, where does this interest come from? What do you yeah. think it can achieve? Yeah, the, um, let's say the traditional way to make wine in Tuscany, it's uh, distaming the grape, means uh, fermenting only the skins and the juice without stems, uh, without any particular phase of carbonic, means fermentation with wool bounce. And um, I, a few years ago, um, I started to travel more in French, and this is uh, one of the good things of COVID because I had been more time. And um, and I and I was also asking myself, um, because of the climate, because of the risk to have a lack of acidity in our wine, uh, every year more hot, every year more dry. And uh, I started the first experimentation um, processing some Sangiovese without removing the stems and just fermenting uh, the wool bound inside the tank uh, in order to understand if it could be helpful to manage the uh, hot climate. And uh, we end making some, uh, some new cuvee that will arrive in the market from September uh, that are not Brunello, but uh, are new Sangiovese coming from vineyards that, in our opinion, are more suitable to work with the stems. And uh, let's say it's something that we are studying. I think is an opportunity. I just came from uh, a visit in Burgundy where we had also the huge opportunity to visit uh, Romane Conti and uh, when we ask why they use the stems, uh, beside the tradition to use the stems, they, where the villain answer, uh, the stems will uh, supply a kind of uh, energy and vibrancy. And um, it's not really about the freshness, but it's more about the uh, the. The, kind, the, the, the mouth feeling of 
something more 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 vibrant and uh, that we really they, they told us we really want in our wine this is why i think uh, makes sense to understand if Sangiovese takes some advantage working with the stems and uh, especially for the terroir that we have in higher altitude in Baccanali on the Amiata, it's also very uh, suitable for the kind of chemistry that we have in our grape, for the kind of ripening of the grape and uh, for the kind of personality of that kind of Sangiovese growing over 600 meters. This is why we are we are keep going. And there we also do 100, only 100% wood cluster. And the wine is, of course, different from Montalcino. I always say if in Montalcino you can really uh, dive inside the texture of the wine because it's a texture made by many layer, many uh, limestone uh, uh, sensation feeling and uh, and uh, and charming and uh, mediterranean uh, in the sangiovese of montalcino on the amiata just five kilometers but in a totally different environment uh, i enjoy this kind of raw energy and be more masculine and uh, with a tanning that are not charming but a bit more uh, straight but lean with a with a not too much extraction, with not too much. Let's um, say the wine has a totally different shape. Yes, well, I'm very curious to to taste the result of this uh, innovation. So let's see, let's see what happens. I want to ask you now, Sebastian, about um, the aging of wines because not many people are lucky enough to taste and age the Sangiovese. You need to you need to afford these wines. And, and not also, not many wineries keep a library of wine because, again, it's a very expensive uh, strategy to have. But can you describe, you know, of course, you, you, have, you have the chance to try aged wines. Can you describe how... E Podere Le Ripi, Sangiovese, Brunello, age we find, even like 10, 15, 20, 30, I don't know how long. It, but well, how, how does the wine change, in your opinion, Sebastian? Well, we, have, um, we have some old vintage, vintages. Well, I, uh, talking about Podere Le Ripi, we, let's see, our old wine uh, are influenced mainly not only because of the longer aging, but also because at the beginning, you know, we had young vineyards, we had, I, I was young, full of mistakes. Yes. And uh, let's say we had wine that are not made with the same awareness and uh, ripening of today. This is why the, probably some vintage is limited in the, uh, in uh, in potential of lasting, uh, literally because uh, uh, the conditions were not right to make a wine for 20 years aging, because the vineyards were young, the cellar was full of new barrels, because we started from scratch, and also the team was not like today. Um, I I my personal taste um, about Brunello, it's I, I'm not that kind of uh, drinker that wants to drink Brunello mainly refined or old, but I also like the energy of a Brunello between five and eight years old, especially in the last 20, 10 years where the climate made our Sangiovese be more ready. And this doesn't translate necessarily in a wine with lower potential of lasting. And... Uh, but I also experience uh, as a wine consumer, uh, Brunello from maybe some producer, some vintage and some vineyard able to offer amazing experience. In my personal opinion, wine with aging must evolve. When, it, when I try a wine that didn't change one little uh, shadow in 20 years and still tastes uh totally uh, like when it was made for me that's not real really uh doesn't pay 
pay back me enough. I want to feel the aging in some way. Doesn't I don't want to feel a tired wine, but I want to feel something that go behind the uh, the the personality of the young wine or the and this is why when I had the, some of the biggest experience with Sangiovese with old vintage for me they bring me in the flavors of the ocean means uh, I taste in the Sangiovese that touch of uh, you know when you go to the fisherman or maybe you go to the port and there is that kind of smell of salty water. Uh, yeah. That's the kind of profile that made me more in love with Sangiovese. It's not common, doesn't happen every year, neither for the same producer. And But it's really delivery amazing experience. Uh, sometimes, uh, I'd say also in Nebbiolo, I had the same experience. And, um, or... You can have a Sangiovese that through the years delivering more sweetness, not because it became sweet, only because the tertiarization, the evolution of the smells and the tannins go more in a, in a, in a direction of being more uh, sweet feeling. And there are two different uh, streets. And uh, we know that every one that we do, one day we take one of the two. We, it's unpredictable which of the two. But uh, it, this is this is my personal experience with, experience with Sangiovese. Yeah, uh, I, I came in person. I came in touch with uh, with you and Poder Le Ripi in 2015 uh, through our common friend Alessandro, that is a professional photographer, and we, we should we should both thank him because thanks to him, actually, we are here doing this. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a little bit of story there, very nice story. But I in 2015, because uh, <laughs> when, when we met first time, I was uh, an experience, totally an experience about, uh, as I would say, sales and market. And uh, it's, yeah. you had to deal with uh, a young guy uh, <laughs> that didn't know literally anything about how we yeah. sell wine around the world. And you've been I, re- I remember when I was sending by email my order or by or, over the phone, I said, but who's the winemaker? It's you. <laughs> you were answering the phone. You were answering, uh, sending email. You were doing everything. So I said, this is a one-man band. <laughs> so it was really early, early stages. But this, I, I mentioned this because I still have in my cellar, my small cellar. I have a 2011 Brunello uh, Lupia Sirena. But, uh, I keep it as a special wine for when my son will be <laughs> ready to drink this so I, I will share my experience with you eventually yes. yeah yeah 11 is a good vintage i like it oh very good very good yes and um yeah i wanted to ask you also you know part of the job of, of an importer is also to educate communicate communicate a zone communicate a, a winery communicate philo- your philosophy i kind of feel uh, sometimes we are uh, a lot of responsibility because all your job what you describe then is up to me to communicate it to my customers to our customer, our common yeah. customer we, we have in new zealand i wanted to ask you if you are in front of an audience and you don't have much time you have less than an hour what we have here but you need to communicate just a few points what would be the most important points to communicate to an average audience average knowledge of audience about Montalcino about your wines in particular yeah I normally uh, especially when I'm short in time do not speak about wine that's <laughs> something yeah, that yes. experience that it, it, it works because it's most of the wine com- communication is based in uh, what you can feel in a glass, uh, what you can, uh, how you describe the wine. Let's see, those are important things, very technical, but are not for me the things that inspire people to drink more or more often, especially a wine region. This is why I I spend more normally spend more time talking about our heritage or our culture or our uh, uh, environment, uh, not not necessarily necessarily about the people don't don't really care about how many months I keep the Sangiovese in the barrels. This is something that comes later for people that want to go in the details 
but I think for uh, some audience uh, in the other side of the ocean, uh, never been in Montalcino, uh, in front of wines from everywhere, because maybe they can experience every day a wine from a different corner in the world. What we can we can do to uh, to do our be- do our best is just share our culture, our heritage, and make them be more friendly with uh, with uh, with the Italian idea of winemaking. And uh, and after the wine must speak for himself uh, in in the glass. It's a, yeah. a and it's not important that the the guest we go out of the room saying uh, Brunello taste cherry. For me, it's important that they go home with uh, a little seed of our culture, no? And it's maybe the culture of how Montalcino became what is today in the last 40 years from stretch or why Sangiovese is so uh, special. Uh, this is, for me, what is really important when we talk about uh, education. Yes. Well, I think it's a very precious advice. Thank you for that, uh, Sebastian. I think it's very, very true what you said. Uh, uh, Sebastian, I want you to make a final uh, comment uh, in the time we have uh, about uh, Francesco Ile, because I think it is, it is a character that is quite important in the winery as well. He's the owner. And, and uh, just to describe his personal, how you, your relationship with him, how he influenced the wines. Yeah. I'm very thankful to Francesco because it's a, he onboard me super young and it was crazy enough to uh, made me the driver, the main driver of the company. And um, it has been my mentor, has been my boss, has been, and now he's also my partner because uh, it's a, give me the opportunity to be partner of Podrele Ripi, me and Alessandro, that is the agronomist. And this is, I think, one of the secrets of Poderele Ripi because at the end we have people that work uh, for, not for a company, but for themselves, for something that they feel very personal and is not working for someone else. And uh, Francesco always been very sensitive, very curious, very, it's a character, uh, sometimes with, uh, in Italy we say lunatico, I don't know, uh, but uh, let's say it's uh, sensitive to the moon. We can moody, <laughs> moody yeah. <laughs> and uh, but uh, at the end, uh, he has been uh, a visionary. He's a visionary man because, yeah. And I'm not talking about how may, we make wine because that's literally the smallest innovation. The big one has been uh, the idea to uh, develop the business in the way of we do today the idea to be uh, trustful with young people and uh, to make them able to understand try also do mistake and 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 and, and change again uh, this is something that i think in the environment of uh, entrepreneurs italian entrepreneurs especially in the wine is very hard to find and um Francesco today is not in, in say it doesn't come to Leripi to uh, decide uh, when it's time to bottle the wine or when it's time to uh, harvest uh, is more than 10 years that this is totally in the hands of the team and uh, he comes to Leripi to 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 feel the the energy to to maybe to share some some vision some inspiration uh, to be a mentor and uh, but there are farmers, there are seller master, there are uh, logistic manager, there are hospitality manager that they really work for Podele Ripi like their own company. This is the the very unique things of Podele Ripi. I think so. Yeah. It's like a cooperative where each one feels like he owns a little bit, and they yeah. they really do it uh, for, 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 for the good uh, of the, the cooperative. Uh, I have to say that one of the most successful tasting around since my, I started this uh, important business is I did a live uh, 
tasting where Francesco Illy was live on a screen uh, in a restaurant, in a restaurant here in Auckland. Uh, and the people were tasting the wines and uh, food matching. And he was uh, <laughs> describing the wines. And he left such an impression on, uh, on the people. And still people talk about him but because this is what you were saying before. Wine is about uh, person. It's about the human side of wine, yeah. the history history more than the technical side because it's about memories about memories yes absolutely i think we are uh, towards the end of our interest unless you want to add something uh, sebastian i i think we took a bit of everything i want just can say for everyone want to visit uh, montalcino podere le ripi let's say we are more than happy to to welcome you in the in the winery we also launch a brand new wine bar with kitchen with wine from everywhere and uh, it's a new project that uh, looks like a wine Starbucks. You go there for multiple reasons, and you end drinking wine from everywhere. When is it gonna start? Uh, it's it's already started three four months ago. Uh, oh. It's a little wine temple uh, because <laughs> it's a place for wine net and for the spread spread wine culture. Okay. It's named Vineria Aperta. Vineria Aperta. I'll be there as yeah. soon as I can. <laughs> yeah, Hello. Yeah. Can you hear me? Yes. yes. Hi. Yes, we can. Okay. So I was just listening. I was, you just actually answered the question I was going to ask you, Sebastian. I was going to ask you if uh, you you had a lot of visitors and if, you know, if you had sort of a tourism thing going on and you do a wine bar. So do you... Do you, you said it's only been open a few months. Have you had many people come and visit? Or yeah, I don't know. about Podere le Ripi, we always did uh, say wine hospitality with our rooms, but with wine experiences, and uh, we develop a lot this um, this department, and uh, we we have a lot lots of visitors. I would say let's say big numbers. Uh, all made to let's say make in a in a kind of educational way on top of this wine program wine hospitality program we me with some friends and also francesco we launch a vineria aperta just three kilometers from the winery and uh, that's totally different because it's a wine spot spin-off with uh, over 1500 labels uh, three psalms in the room a very easy local food but a huge content of wine from everywhere, from Spain, from America, from uh, best stuff, all great stuff from French, all the new stuff, but also the very classical next to the greatest Brunello. And this is, I think, uh, a huge opportunity for, for the Brunello himself to show uh, next to amazing Burgundy or, I don't know, amazing uh, Spanish wine. And, uh, and this is a place that we need to feed the wine curiosity of people like us. No, I, I think that's great. It's also really different. I haven't, I mean, I'm sure that, you know, that I haven't heard of that. So, I mean, that's that's really cool that you have wines from different places because then they can make the comparison. So that's amazing. And I, I actually have a another random question. This is absolutely, completely different. I noticed that your... Um, your winery has a cow, twelve sheep, two donkeys, and five goats. <laughs> yes, <laughs> because <laughs> so now I have more, but... now you have more. Yeah, because they we don't have a bird control. That's, That's exactly what I was going to ask. How do you? I mean, I, I understand that it's part of the biodynamic process. It's really great, uh, but how do you yeah. how do you care for all of these animals? Like, what do they yeah. what do they do? Uh, that- that's the real hard work because uh, making wine compared with uh, taking care of animals is nothing. And I learn on my skins. And uh, yeah, we had a few pack of animals in 2018 has another step in the direction of a farm house uh, model and biodynamic philosophy. The pack is keep growing and we don't produce any milk or meat for now. We use them to do part of the compost that we, that we need that 
I would say, around 20%, because uh, with our vineyards, we will need much more. And it just, uh, you know, when uh, in your uh, daily routine you do something uh, small, but that keep growing day by day very slowly, this is the same. Yeah. We, we don't want to be breeders, but we want to be farmers. And uh, thanks God with Brunello di Montalcino, with our company, we can invest a bit of time, energy, human resources, also in things that uh, probably are not profitable, like having uh, those animals there, but uh, they enrich the the whole picture. They they pay back in different ways, okay. and um, and this is the the journey. Yeah, no, I think that's that was yeah. I read that. I was like, oh, I wonder how that works. So thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, it is um, the end of the hour. Uh, and I think, um, Sebastian, Marco, thank you so much for your time and, um, have a wonderful thank day. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Our pleasure. Great. Yes. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. Grazie. Ciao, Sebastian. Ciao, tutti. Ciao, Ciao, Marco. Ciao. Ciao. Listen to the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Himalaya FM, and more. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. Until next time, cheat cheat.